0: Looking back then to these Beatitudes, these principles that Jesus laid down as he sat teaching the people, We're looking at number, uh, verse 6, which is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So as we approach this fourth Beatitude, Again, as I'm going to keep saying every time until we've, we've gone through this, that we have to have it fresh in our minds as we look at every one of these to know that none of these principles come naturally to us. That is something absolutely vital. That we don't look at these things and think there is, this is something that we can look into our own human natural personality, personalities and say, yes, I, I'm like that. Now there's maybe certain things that may in in some ways mimic. Like you get those people when we spoke about blessed are the meek. Those laid back kind of quiet people that don't seem to put themselves forward in a natural personality way. That doesn't mean that they're new people. But it can be seen to be that way. It can be assumed that way. So let's not assume we cannot attain these principles naturally. They don't naturally come to us. Rather than to be poor in spirit... To know the depths of our sin, to realise our utter helplessness and hopelessness, to come to a true knowledge of our great need of God, of a Saviour. Mankind are naturally blind to it. We are, as Romans 3 tells us, unrighteous, lacking in understanding. We are ignorant of God. We've turned aside. Like it says in Isaiah 53. All of us have turned our own way. Turned aside like sheep gone our own way. And we are wholly unprofitable. Nothing about us is profitable outside of the Lord Jesus. Not in a spiritual sense. And instead of a deep mourning over sin and having a serious concern over the condition of our hearts, over the condition of our minds. And what about our speech and our actions? Instead of being concerned about those things, we live, generally, for today. We live to be happy, in whatever way that is, whatever way we decide that is, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes me happy. No matter what the cost is to those around us, if I'm happy, then I'm going to go for that. That's the kind of way that we live. I mean, after all, we we only live once, don't we? So why fill it with so much negativity? Let's fill it with positivity. Positive thinking. Don't think negatively, for that will just drag you down. Think positive over everything. Norman Vincent Peale, you know. Just... just Confess the positivity. Everything's going to be great. Everything's wonderful. And we'll ignore the fact that actually that's a lie. Because everything isn't wonderful, is it, in this life? So he said, we live it up. We go after pleasure. We go after entertainment. And we brush everything aside. Just to be happy. The truth is, really, you know, you, you look at what this world goes after. And you look at how it fights and promotes, be yourself, do what you want to do, be happy. But the reality is that this world ain't happy. It's miserable. Because it lacks God. And the further people go away from God, no matter how much they cram in their lives to make themselves happy, they'll ult- ultimately be miserable. And you can see it all around us. When we live our lives for ourselves, when we live our lives for ourselves, when we live for this leisure and pleasure, when we live for self-gratification, we become, as the scripture says, proud boasters. Nowhere to be seen is this selfless, humble, meek and gentle spirit of a true human being. And the truth is, friends, there's only one person who is truly human, in the right sense of the word. When you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the absolute example of what both a human being in general and actually a human man should be. He is the prime example. There is no one greater to show us what a human being and a man for us men should be we want to know how to be a man we need to look at him but that's not any the less for women he is the perfect absolute human being it's to him we must look and we will see every one of these principles perfectly shown in him see he has no arrogance no pride no selfish ambition He is the meekest, the gentlest, and yet the most powerful person alive. And yet he made himself of no reputation. Coming to us in the form of a servant. And in some translations it says slave. One who humbled himself wholly the almighty son of the living God who went to death on the cross on behalf and for all his people. We see then that the only, uh, only the true Christian who has been and continues throughout his life to be changed, to grow in sanctification. Only that person, who God himself has regenerated, is one who is poor in spirit, who begins to mourn over his sin, and thus, as the publican knows who and what he is, and upon seeing and experience in the goodness of God, upon such a person as he you remember what he said, don't you? Couldn't even lift his head to pray. Oh Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. His head down. Not even able to look to God because he knew what he was. That's what we need to be. People like that. And he saw the goodness of God upon him. He is humbled. His pride is broken. And he knows that in and of himself, he is absolutely nothing. And I, can, I repeat what John Bunyan said if, you, if you're on the floor already you can't fall very far <clears throat> so in the sweetness of meekness this person lives for God serves him and others selflessly this is the person friends who hungers and thirsts for righteousness and the promise is that this person will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve every tree which bears fruit for for food, every tree except the one perhaps in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That one, he said, you eat not from everything else is yours go and eat freely except for that tree and the first that we hear of our first parents being aware of death is the warning of it when they were told that they if they should eat from this tree this forbidden tree this tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they would surely die it's a question then that i ask myself would their bodies suffer consequences if they didn't eat? I was thinking about this and I was just thinking that that's the first time they hear or even know anything about death. It wasn't this, it wasn't, it didn't say, if you don't eat from these trees I've said to eat from, you'll die, of starvation, they didn't say that. It's just as if you eat from that tree, you'll die. So the scripture doesn't say particularly whether they would die if they didn't eat. What kind of position they were in. What their constitution was at that time. Would they starve? Would they die? We're not told. But what we do understand. Is that God has given them an appetite. And an enjoyment. In partaking of the many variations of fruit. On those trees. Throughout the scriptures. There is an abundance of times. Of feasting. If you've read through the scriptures, you'll see there are often times where there's feasting. And there are also times of abstaining, such as when Daniel refused to eat the king's dainties because they had been offered to idols. He wouldn't do it. He would rather eat vegetables and drink water, which shows afterwards, after 10 days, that it was better for them and they were more ruddy and more healthy than those that were partaking in all the rich dainties of the king's. And Jesus himself, he often had many wonderful conversations over food. It was, of course, at the the table at the house of Simon the leper, who had invited him for dinner. It was there that the woman poured expensive ointment over him. And then that whole conversation with Simon the leper ensued. Was he not also accused of eating and drinking with, uh, with sinners at the house of Matthew, the tax collector. And he was called a glutton and a wine winebibber. Even today, don't we just love to have times of fellowship. Whenever we have times of fellowship, that hatch is always open and we've always got some food. <coughs> Chip butties. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll have a a little bit tonight, maybe. But there is something about being together, having fellowship, and it being over food. Jesus did it. The disciples did it. It's all the way through the Old Testament, certain feasts where they, you know, God even said, you know, be merry, enjoy. We, We have all those times of thanksgiving over food and drink. So in this fourth beatitude... Jesus, in a sense, uses the analogy of hungering and thirsting when it comes to righteousness. What is this righteousness which we are blessed to hunger and thirst after? Well, the Jews and the Pharisees largely displayed an attitude of what? Self-righteousness, which they found in keeping the law. Which, by the way, they failed miserably in. Even though they didn't think they had. They thought they were keeping it to the utmost, and yet they weren't. They failed miserably. But they also made other uh, traditions, man made traditions, rules and regulations, which they heaped upon others. Largely didn't heap upon themselves. And they, of course, were disciples of Moses, ancestors. Of their forefather Abraham God's chosen people and it says as we read in the text this morning that salvation was of the Jews we're in mate we're there we're God's chosen people so they were misguided they thought what more do we need to do we're already in however Isaiah speaks clearly when he states this we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags if you want to have a look into what that means I'll leave you to that I won't major on it right now but let me tell you this, what he means when he says that our righteousness are as filthy rags, it's it's a disgusting thing what he's talking about that's how disgusting our righteousness is have a look at it go and have a look tell me what you find and what that means because it's not pleasant he says we all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away there is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities what is spoken about is a moral or a legal righteousness. And that is not what is spoken of in this Beatitude. As John Gill says, the justifying righteousness of Christ, which is imputed by God the Father and received by faith. This is the righteousness that we're talking about, the justifying righteousness of Christ, which is imputed. By God the Father. What did he say of Abraham? He said that he believed and it was imputed to him as righteousness. When we're justified, we are given imputed righteousness. We don't have righteousness of our own, not now, but we are given his righteousness. That's what it is. It's imputed to us. It's put into our account. It is the condition or the state by which we are found acceptable by God. That's what it is. That's what this righteousness is. It's the state by which we are found acceptable. We stand before God and rather be unacceptable and cast away, we're found to be acceptable again by His righteousness. Not by our own it is a righteousness that is only found in Jesus Christ and given to us by God we read in 2 Corinthians 5 21 for he meaning God he made him who knew no sin meaning Jesus to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him now you see How can we hunger and thirst after a righteousness like this, of our own accord, of our natural senses? For if we're bent to sin, why are we going to desire a righteousness that can only be found in Christ and given to us by him? It's impossible. It is a righteousness that justifies. It is godliness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for godliness. It's a challenging statement to every one of us. Is that really what I desire, what I hunger and thirst for, to be godly? Do I really know what it means to be godly? It is a righteousness, it is an acceptance before God. It's God. Investing righteousness in us, imputed. He invests it into his people. It really is truly pious Christian character. That's what it is to be righteous. It's integrity, it is virtue, it is purity of life. It is rightness it is correctness of thinking and correctness of feeling and acting so this righteousness is about being pure having the virtues of purity in our life it's about living rightly somebody comes to you where you work and says i'll pay you under the table and you think to yourself in your human mind, you know, I could really deal with that. No tax. Nobody knows. I could really deal with that money right now because I am brassic. What do I do as a Christian? What is right? Why do you have that longing, if that's the right word, to want to be right? Is it because you want to be seen to be ultra-pure, or is it because you want to do right before God? Because you want His approval and not man's. Because if you do it that way, yeah, you might not have those extra few dollars, but He will look after you, and He will be honoured by you. And what does it say in Scripture? You know, when you do these things in secret, He will reward you, you know, in the open. So, this is what it is to be a Christian. One who is poor in spirit, one who mourns over sin, one who is truly meek, is one who also hungers and thirsts for this kind of righteousness, which can only be found in Christ, can only be gained by faith and by putting our complete trust in Him for our salvation. And the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us to live a Christian life. That's essential. You know, there are so many people who think you can somehow be a Christian and not be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I find that very odd. The Bible tells us that when we're born again, what does Peter say to those inquirers when they cry out, what shall we do, brethren? He said, repent and believe. And you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. you given the gift of the Holy Spirit in conversion. You cannot live the Christian life without being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. We are told that we're blessed if we hunger and thirst for this kind of righteousness. I mentioned it this morning, but I mentioned it again. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you. O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And it's interesting that the song we just sang seems to come, I've just realized this, from Isaiah 55, verse 1. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Everyone who thirsts. Psalm 119, 17 to 20. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I might see wondrous things from your Lord. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. That is phenomenally challenging. Tremendously challenging. Deal bountifully with me that I may live and keep your word. Is that your desire? Open my eyes, O Lord, that I may see wonderful things in your word, in your law. Hard to see wonderful things if I'm never in the Bible. And do you, friends, as Christians, if you are Christians indeed tonight, do you feel that you're a stranger in the earth? Are you citizens of another country or this one? Because if we love God, then we want to be where he is. That's why we cry Maranatha, as we said again this morning. Still, Lord, come. We want to hear the sound of that trumpet blown, His arrival He's here. And like those five wise virgins, we have the oil in our lamps. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. this this hungering and this thirsty is to have a very strong desire it is it is a need it is a must have something that has to be satisfied now the question is which we probably will have to answer in the negative do we know what it's like to be really hungry I'm not sure that many of us will. Has anybody here today ever found themselves in a place of real starvation? I don't think many people in the West know what it's like to starve. Now I can go home from a day's work, as you can, and you think, oh, I'm so hungry, I just feel so hungry. Oh yeah, we take it lightly. Then we say, oh, I'm starving. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not starving. What about thirsty? I'm quite thirsty now. I will have to have a drink. Your mouth gets dry. You feel like your body knows when you need to drink. I have. Imaginations or images of someone crawling through the desert with dry, cracked lips who suddenly stumbles upon an oasis. <clears throat> See, the need for water surpasses any and everything else. The one priority is that, that thirst be quenched. If I don't drink, I'm gonna die. That's the type of thing we're talking about when we say, I thirst. You know, you live longer without food than you can with water. You need water, in a sense, more than you do food. <clears throat> to hunger and thirst are what we would term daily needs. Most people eat and drink every day, unless, of course, they're fasting or something. But most people, on a general basis, will... We'll, we'll kind of fill those needs, we'll meet those needs on a daily basis. And just as with our physical appetite, when we lose it, it can identify that there's a problem. If you suddenly find yourself not hungry when you know you've not eaten, and you've got no appetite, no fancy for anything, sometimes you thinking, is What's wrong with me? Or somebody else might say, Well, what's wrong with you? It's not like you. You can identify that there's a problem. And so, also, that if we know our appetite, our hunger and thirst after God is little to none, it's an indication that there is something spiritually wrong. None of these things are made by accident. Jesus didn't talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness just because you thought well, that sounds good if you do not have any appetite for the things of God or if it's really, really little then it indicates that there is a problem a spiritual problem consuming unhealthy junk food can dull our physical appetite, and in the same way if we gorge on things that are not of god things of the world that can seriously dull our appetite for god the bible says do not love the world and the things in the world he can't love the world and be a friend of god those who love the world are enemies of god So the more we love the world, the more we partake in it, the more we give ourselves to it. Now the Bible says we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We do have to live in it. We do have to go to work and do those things that God has given us to do. And make no mistake, that is part of the good works that has given us to do. We need to live in the world, but we don't need to let it take over us. We don't need to marry it. We don't need to be in love with it. And when we don't eat we get weak there is what we might call malnutrition and eventually if we don't eat we die it must be noted that this righteousness is not inward only but one that is seen in the character of the one who hungers and thirsts for it it's not just something within but it shows it's seen in the character of the person that hungers and thirsts. And just as in those first three Beatitudes that they have an appearance to be witnessed in the Christian, so also here, a person then who hungers and thirsts for righteousness longs to live outwardly in poorness of spirit. Lives as one who mourns over sin, one who is meek, one who is approachable, one who is humble, one who is gracious. Here is one in which righteousness is lived out. This is the one who is changed. Not one who is simply reformed in certain area of his life. This is not just about stopping doing certain things and, and being a better person. For Judas tried to return the 30 pieces of silver that he called blood money in regret. But was he changed in his heart? No. He was caring for himself. What have I done? What's going to happen to me? And what about Paul? He wasn't one like Paul said. Whose sorrow led to repentance. But the same with Esau. Esau had a self-seeking regret and sorrow. That's what they were like. It wasn't true. It wasn't that sorrow that led to repentance. It was a self-seeking sorrow. It was all about me. What was going to happen to me? What's my life going to be like now? What is the consequence of this going to be for me? That's not true Repentance. This one is one who desires with passion to put to death the deeds of the flesh, to tame the tongue, to be slow to anger, to listen more and to speak less, to shut down unwholesome speech and coarse language, and to cease engaging In ungodly sexual union. This is the kind of person who seeks after righteousness, that which is right, that which is holy. The one who seeks after righteousness is the one who seeks first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, knowing that all the needed things will be given to him besides. This is the type of person that a Christian is. This is a type of person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And it says that these people will be satisfied. These people will be filled. Scripture is full of examples where God both satisfies and is the satisfaction of his people. In John 4, Jesus promises, like we read this morning, that the living water that he gives will be a spring of water, welling up to eternal life of those who drink it, and that they will never thirst again. In John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. In Jeremiah thirty-one twenty-five, God says, I have satiated or fully satisfied the weary soul. And I have replenished every sorrowful soul. Psalm 107 verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And Isaiah 58:11 says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in draught and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. These are the promises for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We shall be satisfied while on earth as we are satisfied when we eat and drink so those who desire to be holy and live a righteous life shall be satisfied by God himself. Isaiah 65, 13 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servant shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. And in John 7, 37-38, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. These promises, if you are in Christ, are for you. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's a question, though, isn't it? So, as we look into Scripture as a mirror, as we do, as Paul encourages to do, and examine ourselves now, rather than be examined later and found wanting, we ought, if we profess, profess Christ as our Lord and Saviour, to take these principles found in the Beatitudes. And do a litmus test against ourselves. <coughs> Where are our <coughs> appetites? Do we crave what the world has to offer? And do we fill ourselves onto dullness and carnal pleasures and carnal interests? Don't think of carnal as being wicked, by the way. Carnal merely means worldly. Do we love the world? Is the question. Are we alive or are we dead to the things of God? Do we hunger? Do we thirst with an insatiable need for Him? Do we desire to live a godly life? Or is this Christianity, like I said this morning, just the sidecar? Do we long after His word as such as we do for food and drink? Do we know that without it we will become weak, unhealthy, that we'll become gaunt and shriveled and eventually we'll die? urge urges to desire that which is spiritual rather and above that which is temporal. And Jesus said in John 6, 27, Do not labour for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. He's not just talking about Physical bread, even though we used it as an example, because these people who we fed the 5,000 were coming to to get more, because their gods were their bellies. That's what Philippians says. Their bellies were their gods. Come to the living God for the food that doesn't perish. And Jesus said, didn't he? Which we'll probably look at in John 4, when his disciples had gone to get food. He came back and he said, basically they offered him food and he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. And the, the disciples are saying, well, has somebody given him something to eat? And he says, no, I have food that you don't know about. And what was that food? To do the will of God. And it's the same for us, friends. Our food, really and truly, is to do the will of God. Without Christ, we're dead. With him, we are alive. Without Christ we are naked and with him we are clothed. Without Christ we are poor. With him we are rich. Without Christ we remain hungry and emaciated. With him we are full and satisfied. Without Christ we remain thirsty, forever parched. With him we have living water and will never thirst again. Blessed are those who who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these truly godly principles. We thank you, Lord, that the reality is that these principles spoken of are absolutely speaking firstly of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for Him, thank you for His example thank you Lord for his life and Lord as we want to look at ourselves and find out what it is to be truly human and truly spiritual to be a true man and to be a true woman we only need to look at the Lord Jesus we pray Lord God you'd help us for many times do we lack in our hunger and our thirst for you many times we lack in that instruction given to seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these other things will be given to us besides how often do we fail how often do we find ourselves hungering for other things junk food that only satisfies temporarily and actually is quite unhealthy for us the things of the world lord would you cause them to or cause them to be horrible to us (coughs) may it be that we have a true hunger and a true thirst for righteousness i pray lord god for myself and my friends here that we would be like that heart that deer that pants after the water brook so my soul pants after you may it be true amongst us may not just be words that we utter praises that we know from your scriptures but cause it to be a living reality make us poor in spirit cause us to be those who mourn lord make us meek people and cause us to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Lord, we live in a world which needs to see, really, what a true Christian is. And unfortunately, in this day and age, there are far many who only profess and yet live nothing like what we're supposed to live like. We look nothing like Jesus, as we read this morning. If we are going to say that we abide with you, then we ought to walk in the way that he walked help us then we pray for it is impossible in our own strength to walk like jesus fill us i pray lord with your holy spirit fill us and continue to fill us every day we need your help we need you every day lord god and i pray that just as we need to look after our physical bodies, that we need to feed and water, our physical bodies, maybe even over and above, that we come to the knowledge of the need to spiritually feed and to spiritually drink on you on a daily basis. Oh Lord, for we will, we will grow weak, we will grow thin and we will eventually die if we do not do that. Lord, I ask you glorify your name in every person here tonight, in every man, woman and child. Lord, take our lives, we pray, and do with them what you will, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.